Hello. Oh, hi there, Ben. Um, welcome to BIM, Pod- BIM Podcast, BIM in the Trenches. My name is Andy Bourne, Director and BIM Recruitment Specialist at Charter Recruitment. This is the third BIM podcast in the series, BIM in the Trenches, where we get under the car bonnets of a number of construction companies and see in practical terms how BIM is actually delivered. Our companies implement BIM, key challenges and highlight best practice. I'm happy to introduce Ben Roberts, um, BIM delivery leader for the UK's largest MEP consultant engineers, Paul Lear. How are you today, Ben? Great, really good. Thank you, mate. How are you doing? All right. Yeah, very good. Thanks. Very good. Um, and so, if we kick straight off, we can firstly, if you could uh, sort of int- give an introduction of yourself and your um, your work career, and and also your your own personal uh, BIM journey. Okay, so as you said, I'm, my title is BIM Delivery Leader. Um, so I'm really responsible for rolling out how we deliver BIM projects around the firm. Um, but increasingly, my role is actually about defining a vision for the future of how we work, of how we use digital, um, and trying to then bring the tools that make that vision happen into the firm and, and, and make it a reality for our engineers. So that's kind of what, what my role is all about. Um, my personal BIM journey is, is very much the same as the BIM journey that, uh, that, that Hawley has, um, has been on. So... Uh, I, I was one of the first engineers who got involved with BIM back in uh, 2009. I was working as a mechanical engineer on a project uh, in Bristol. And uh, our client said, well, actually, our client, it was a Procure 21 project, so our client was the main contractor, and they said, uh, you're doing BIM, and you're going to use Revit. Uh, <laughs> and we said, what's BIM, what? BIM what's Revit? <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and nobody really knew at the time, you know, so... I was uh, I was I was the youngest engineer on the project, so and, sort of, and sorry, was that two thousand and nine? Was that? Yeah, yeah, we started doing. Yeah, the project was already rolling actually, um, but in two thousand nine, we decided to uh, make it a BIM job. Nice. Yes, yeah. I, I see, and then because this, I suppose this goes on ni- nicely in terms of the whole is um, history is your you, BIM history is basically your history. So how yeah so how how's that then developed since then? Um, well, it's uh, it's been a crazy road, a crazy journey. Um, because I was one of the first engineers in the practice to uh, to, to do a BIM project. Um, when another BIM project came up somewhere else, it was sort of naturally like, oh, you've done that before, so why don't you go and share your experience and help out? And then they started popping up everywhere. Uh, and then in 2011, uh, the government, UK government BIM mandate came into effect and that sort of really uh, pushed the agenda, I think. And then, uh, and then, as I'm sure everyone's aware, um, BIM was suddenly everywhere uh, and it became became quite a formal thing. So at that point, um, we then started doing things a bit more formally, set up a central management group for for BIM um, which was myself uh, and a couple of colleagues electrical engineering colleague and some with um, more sort of CAD based background actually um, became like a central resource uh, not a resource for, for working directly on projects but for setting up our strategy and of, of how we how we deal with it how we resource BIM projects and um, how we deliver them basically so it's kind of gone from there sure and in terms of and and in terms of the core team now, is it what's that what's that now to develop to? We are roughly the same. We're a little bit bigger. There are seven of us now in the team, 
and um, we deal with uh, well we have five different work streams uh, we've got see if I can remember them correctly we've got uh, digital innovation uh, where we're actually pushing the boundaries and, and keeping up to date with the latest technology and finding the most advanced solutions we've got uh, training so we actually deliver our own training for uh, Revit and um, BIM management Actually, BIM management is a separate work stream, <clears throat> how we actually manage the BIM projects. We have a couple of software developers in our team now, so we're making our own tools and add-ins as well, so that's a work stream. And then the final thing is just the actual underlying templates and content. So we make all our own, all our own uh, generic content, and, and we have to manage that and make sure that the all the licenses and all that fun stuff that um, actually mm-hmm. supports it and, and, and makes the thing work, hopefully. And in, and in terms of BIM as um, within the company, is it fully developed in all the procedures, whether it be the you know, design, you know, the design procedures? Is it is, is it a sort of set set structure that perceived set of uh, procedures that every any engineer CAD technician ha, has to ha, has to ensure that they're uh, keeping to? Right. Yeah. Timely question because this is where we're at at the moment as a business. Is that um, we're trying to make sure that actually this isn't something that we just do as a central group and it's not seen as a separate exercise and actually we work very closely with um, our other central management groups and and with the project teams to make sure that it's actually a part of the business Um, so this isn't just like oh we're just doing the things the way we did things 10 years ago but then we've got a bit of BIM Um, we're actually making sure that our guys who are delivering the projects and who are running the business are just adopting BIM as a way of life, and um, that's much more nowadays becoming just the way we do things. If that answers your question, yeah, I think. no, and I suppose that goes on to then, I suppose, developing the whole culture of the firm, isn't it, to ensure it works in the correct way? Um, yeah, and totally, yeah, you've you said the big, the big word, <laughs> culture. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, that is that is the that is the, the main sort of thing that we're that we're dealing with um, is embracing that culture, which is not something I understood. If I'm honest, when I started doing BIM projects myself, I didn't get that. Um, I'd only been in the industry for a couple of years, and so to me, it just sort of made sense. I was learning anyway, um, and I think for a lot of people who are joining the industry now, it's the same that we just say, "Look, this is how we do projects," and that's cool, and it makes sense, and everyone goes along with it, um, but. It is actually a fundamentally culturally different way of uh, of approaching the project. And if you've been doing something a different way for decades, then um, that's quite a challenge, I think, to, uh, to to suddenly think about the way you work in a, actually quite a fundamentally different way. Yeah. Sure. And how and in this this sort of cultural change? I mean, do you think you've reached the tipping point at Hawley yet, or is this still very much trying to? win hearts and minds sort of uh, for BIM? Well, we've, we've certainly turned a corner. I think tipping point might be a good phrase to use, actually, because it feels like the conversations, <laughs> the conversations I was having up until, maybe even up until a year ago, were still, a lot of, a lot of it was like, well, why do we need to do this? And isn't it just a bit, of, isn't it just an extra overhead and isn't it just more to do? Um, I'm not having those conversations anymore and now very much conversations are almost the opposite they're like well why aren't we doing everything like this and why can't we do things quicker and <laughs> so it's like so you're, oh, not, so you're not selling it anymore which is a good start 
no, not at all. Um, yeah, and it's almost somehow just flipped around the opposite way, which is fantastic. But somehow, you know, now everybody seem not everybody, but the majority of people seem to be um, getting what we can do with digital technology, and they're down with it, and they're like, right, well, let's let's do it. Why isn't it better? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a totally different challenge, like the opposite challenge to what I had a couple of years ago. But it's it's better place to be. So yeah. And it go for, I mean, we obviously we t- we touched on culture. So looking at the other sort of challenges that you're facing implementing BIM, what 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 do you yeah? If you sort of could line those up, where do you what what do you what do you see those as? Okay, so uh, one of the other big challenges is definitely um, about the software. Uh, the software is pretty key to this whole process of 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 delivering BIM projects and of digital innovation which i'm sort of separating slightly but um yeah so there's still there's still quite a lot of issues with software uh, not to do it down um tools like revit are absolutely fantastic and um we're, we're able to deliver some similar things to we to what we used to much in a much more timely fashion and with better consistency and things now so that there's some really great things but there's still a few things um, from our point of view that um just don't quite work nicely or um, integration with other tools is a really classic one Um, interoperability as we say so um, we're still having to do lighting design in a separate tool and merging that with our core Revit model is very challenging and it's similar with thermal modeling and it's similar with um, wire sizing and all sorts of things cable sizing in UK terms I should say Um, so uh, yeah that is one of our issues and like I say, when people then culturally are like, right, let's do digital, why isn't it better? <laughs> that's when they'll pick up on these little things and they'll, and they'll say, oh, it doesn't quite work the way I expected it to. And we're still to some extent um, at the behest of the way the software works <clears throat> rather than being able to adapt the software to work the way we want it to, and, to and, do. And is, this what, and is this a key, why, key reason why you then most de- develop some in-house developers who can then you know, create yeah additional functionality of the tools and add-ins is that what is is it almost come oh we've got these issues let's try and get people in to solve these basically yeah that's exactly it and uh, and again like um revit is quite an open programming interface these days so you can get under the hood and change things and tweak stuff it's not too difficult to make your own add-ins so yeah we've got a couple of software developers and i can see that side of our business growing significantly in the coming years and i think that in the not too distant future that we'll, we'll probably have people who are pretty software savvy that uh, programming savvy i should say um uh, all, all over the place i can see that being actually quite a core part of the design team that, that an sure. engineer says you know i want to do this and if you've got somebody who can can write scripts and programs um then they'll just make a tool to allow you to do it. And that seems like the future, rather than the engineer saying, I want to do this, and then someone saying, nah, a computer doesn't really let you do that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, definitely. That um, that is a really interesting one because, I mean, I've seen it from, I suppose, the recruitment standpoint, a number more and more of my clients are now saying, well, yeah, we'd like something, you know, have them to have C plus skill, visual basics, can they do... Python and so yeah and that and I get I'm guessing that more not just consulting engineers the contractors they're all looking and they're realize yeah so that's and that's something even a year ago that really wasn't really happening but now I mean I've probably got about four um, roles on purely for those type of positions so it's very interesting Mm -hmm. you said that yeah 
Yeah, totally. Um, so you mentioned so the software. Any other sort of key mm-hmm. sort of issues, problems that um, chat or challenges, as I say, that you, you're always looking to get around? Um, yeah, I mean the management side of things is definitely a challenge that we have um, because everything's changing. Uh, it's really difficult to manage people's expectations, and that's both internally and externally. So when we sign up to a project, um, so often. Uh, the client has one expectation of what's going to happen. Contractor has another expectation. Architect has another expectation. We have a different expectation. And it's very difficult to actually communicate all those and agree with them. And, and quite often what happens is we end up delivering what we think is really is really good and useful and helpful. Um, <clears throat> and the client says, well, it's not what we were expecting. But they never really said what they were expecting. Or, or so, so that, what they, what that, yeah, what they actually wanted at the first, at the, you know, what they can get, which should be beneficial. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And because there's new stuff all the time, obviously people aren't aware of everything. You know, we're not even aware of everything that is possible. So um, it's really difficult to keep up with uh, with what is possible and what can be done and what is sensible and, and what shouldn't be done as well. And um, having that as a consistent message across a firm, I mean, I didn't really do the introduction thing about Hawley, but we're um, we're nearly a thousand staff now. We're, we're all over the UK. We've got two offices in the Middle East. Uh, we do work all over Europe um, and elsewhere in the world as well, actually. So trying to keep a consistent message across a business like that yeah. of how we manage projects and what we should be offering um, and what we can offer and what we what we should be looking out for, that's really, really challenging. So that side of it is, is a real difficult one. Um, and then I guess the other, the other thing um, that you've touched on, actually, is about skills and education and and resourcing um so actually finding the right people with the right skills and and uh and then giving them the right tasks to do on a project (laughs) you know all that side of things is is also a bit of a challenge so a lot of it is and that is the bim stuff right bim is is a management process really yeah i like that kind of better information management thing that people bandy around I i think that's a really good way of describing bim it's about information management and um so, so naturally, it's actually the kind of management level people who really need to understand what BIM is about. Sure. You know, going back to the when you were saying uh, the getting everyone's expectations the same, it's almost like that when they talk about collaboration. It's almost collabor- It's almost trying to get everyone to have the, the same expectations or understanding of what BIM means at the start. That's mm-hmm. that because when you go to level three, that I mean, it, it, it's unifying, it's unifying the expectations more than anything else, isn't it? Yeah, big time. Yeah, that's absolutely massive. Um, if you've got a team and everyone's on board and everyone's got the same idea, then it will work really nicely. But uh, uh, that often that isn't the case. <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah, sure. And and then looking at some of the sort of solutions to these to these issues that we've raised. I mean, we you you talked about the cultural piece, and it, it looks like. Know that it's clearly embedding it into the structure and and rolling it out and training. So you know that that's been talked about a lot. I mean, it, I mean, could you, you look at some of the sort of solutions to some of these sort of issues that you you've you've raised here? Mm-hmm. Okay, absolutely. So starting with the cultural stuff, really important message that we've learned is um, the importance of uh, leading by example and showing people how they can benefit and, and why it's a good idea um 
we we often talk about this carrot and stick analogy and i'm a big fan of the carrot <laughs> I, I like a carrot um because i think that is how people actually change you know you can't if if you've got a naysayer in the business you're not really going to get anywhere by going and just talking at that person and saying um you're wrong because <laughs> they're not wrong you know they 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 have these um doubts and criticisms for very valid reasons and um but but the way to get around it then is to just literally do great projects um show how bim can help um and and communicate that with your staff and with your clients and with everyone um and set an example and that way then people will say oh that looks like a good idea i think i want to get involved in that <clears throat> And at that point, then you have to have the, the the information and the training and the backup to say, "Great, I'm glad you're on board. Here's how to do it." <laughs> right, no greater. And and in terms of, I suppose the software. I mean, that almost the whole point with the you know you've then added you've got some developers in. I mean, is there any other? I mean, is there any way you've other things that you've tried you've you've done to try and um, um, you know meet those meet some of those challenges. <clears throat> Well, we are um, we are also kind of, I suppose, as well as developing our own tools on top of that, we are optimising the way that we can use the existing tools. Um, and sometimes it looks like a problem at first, but actually it's quite easy to find a workaround. So that's another thing, I suppose, that's a bit more grassroots, is just defining good workflows of... Um, how to use the software as efficiently as possible, how to get around typical potholes and problems. Um, so that's a kind of fairly core activity, I suppose. Um, and then when you've got more advanced problems that actually can't be solved with the core program, then then it's about um, a little bit of uh, software development. In between those two options, you've got uh, your visual scripting now. So um, in Revit, that's, uh, that's Dynamo. There's an add-in called Dynamo, which... Uh, is a, a sort of much simpler is a visual interface for actually writing your own program so even people like me who i don't really know that much about programming but um with visual scripting it's quite a simple way of uh, writing tools to do what you want so there are new ways of uh, of um of getting into the programming interface that are a bit more amenable for everybody <laughs> <laughs> oh i see and in, and in terms of let's, um, and moving on to the um, benefits, I mean, what do you, what do you see as the yeah you know, maybe like the top five benefits of, of you know of implementing BIM and what you know what's it what's it brought to all there? Mm-hmm. Um, so top top five benefits. I've I've been good and done my homework and written down top five benefits. <laughs> or, I, I realised really that most of it is actually about one thing. It's about having a single database of information so having all the data in one place and everything reading um reading out of that that's kind of in real terms that's the benefit that, that bim brings us and particularly as an mep design um, consultancy um, one of the biggest benefits is about um instantly being able to revise the calculations so when you've got a change if there's a, a changed flow rate in a grill then that will pass down the duct and you can instantly see whether the duct needs resizing it will go back to the air handling unit and update the schedule um if you've got heating coils in the in the ducts then the duty can change and then that will update the fluid in the pipes and back to the pumps and the boiler so everything's connected it means that when you make one change at one point in the model 
Whereas in a traditional method, you'd have to go and update maybe three or four different calculations, half a dozen equipment schedules, and a bunch of layouts, and a schematic, all independently. You only have to do that once now. So that is undoubtedly one of the biggest Huge benefits. benefits yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it's a similar point, but another point I made was about consistency. So um, in, in the actual deliverables, again, it's very easy for things to slip through the net. If you've got 10 different things, 10 different um, deliverables with the same number on them, and that, that number needs to be updated on all those 10 different deliverables, uh, on a Friday afternoon and, and, you've, and you've got the deadline looming, it's very easy to, uh, to miss one or two of those. So, um, again, having all the data in the same place means that that isn't possible. So consistency has, has been a real benefit for us. Um, and going beyond just the... Uh, the data side of things because I'm, I'm so passionate about about the data aspect of it um because uh, you know all, all the time people think about bms 3d modeling and i'm, I'm sort of quite keen to, to to not talk about 3d modeling particularly as, as an engineer because the data is so powerful to us in in the systems um but actually the 3d side of it is really beneficial as well and there's a lot of great things we can get out of that so um the visualization being able to communicate our design intent um, is really helpful. So many times we've had um, projects where the engineer has to go to a meeting and they have to try and justify why they need such a big plant space and why they need so much space in the riser and why why we can't have ceilings that are much higher and all these sorts of things. And um, by presenting a, a good 3D visualisation, um, it, it just saves an awful lot of time and arguments and disagreements because you know no no one can no one can argue once you've got that or or you know you, you sit around and people go oh okay and and somebody might say well why, why didn't you route this that work around in a different area that you hadn't seen before you know it brings people together to look at the situation and, and collaborate on yeah 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 so the 3d side of it is um is really valuable as well um the final thing i'd i'd written down for um for benefits and it's a bit of a cop-out, but it's about the potential. Yeah. Because for me, like the BIM, the information management side, is really just the foundations for all the exciting stuff we can do with digital innovation. So once we've got all those data standards embedded and once everybody's talking in common language, then we can start to do the more far-out stuff, um, things like smart cities and linking live data and manufacturers' data straight into design models well, using I, artificial I, intelligence. And well, I, I, I tell you what, let's let's go on, move on to that, because I know right. this is your sort of main passion. And I mean, hey. I, yeah, in terms, <laughs> what, in terms of where BIM will be, where digital engineering, where it's going to be and how it's going to change, you know, how, how it's going to change the way we work in, you know, design and build, you know, and actually construct buildings. So, yeah, I, I know this is your... Yeah, yeah, this is this is the real passion of yours. So yeah, you, you crack on. <laughs> Great. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. This is a real area that I'm focusing on. Again, because um, I think it's more important to give people a vision, a tangible vision of the future, of what we can actually do and where we're heading, rather than just saying to people, "Oh, you need to use Kobe." Well, why? And the answer is is this: because we can do all this cool stuff, right? And it's starting to happen. So. I've put down a few predictions for for the future, but actually a lot of this stuff is is happening 
already. So, like, number one. Yeah, yeah, immersive technology. um, You know, we're starting to see that a lot, actually, um, through the design stage uh, with virtual reality uh, and through the uh, construction stage with um, augmented reality um, and, indeed, in... Uh, in um, in use as well, actually, uh, with augmented reality and things. So the immersive technology stuff has, uh, in recent years, just suddenly gone from something that was all a bit, a little bit sci-fi or very advanced to, like, oh, you can literally get it on your smartphone. Everyone's got a smartphone in their pocket. Um, what you need is a £5 bit of Google Cardboard, and uh, you can look around your model in 3D. Well, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, and... And, and then we can also embed data in that. So when you look at an object, maybe you hover over an object and some information pops up, tells you what the manufacturer is or how long before it needs a service or a filter change or something like that. Um, and um, with binaural sound, we can do acoustic simulations as well. So you can actually really start to get a feel for exactly how your space is going to look and how it's going to sound. So this could what, be from the site manager walking around the site to someone in the design office to any to anywhere as long as they got the the be their smartphone or whatever interface Uh, absolutely yeah and and it could be that um so i haven't seen this happening yet but near future is um people working on the same model but from anywhere in the world so uh, you know you might have your designer in bristol and your sorry your mep designer in bristol and your architect might be in Budapest and your structure engineer might be in um, Australia, whatever. It doesn't matter. The model's hosted on the cloud. We can all put on headsets and remotely um, view the model uh, in an immersive environment. And that could be something, as you say, right from the conceptual stage where you're still playing around with layouts and pushing walls here and there and changing the size of windows Um, up to, uh, yeah, when you're on site and looking at the design and overlaying it onto what's been installed and comparing that on on site. So, uh, yeah, and and most of that stuff, like I say, is is already here and is already happening and is not that expensive. Oh, great stuff. So then, what's what's your, is this? What's your number two? <laughs> um, in in no particular order, um, <laughs> I've put I've said um, cloud processing. Uh, so. Again, this is like not a particularly shocking technology where we all know about cloud processing, but the power that it brings is pretty huge. Um, and uh, because then we can do calculations very quickly, and calculations can be done in the background, so your computer isn't um, slowed down by <laughs> doing a load of calculations, um, then uh, we can automate a lot of our basic design tasks. So um, <clears throat> this means we can get much quicker feedback so um, because the calculations are being done so quickly, rather than having to come up with a, with a design idea and then run a bunch of calculations and then get some results, you can come up with a design idea, the computer does the calculations instantly, and you immediately see the results. And then you can say, actually, that wasn't a very good idea after all. I'm going to try this. And you can tweak it um, and push that around until you, until you, so you're getting basically live feedback on your design changes. Maybe an architect uh, decides to make the window bigger, and instantly your model will say, okay, well, this is the impact that's had on daylighting. This is the impact it's had on heat loss, on heat gain, um, on occupant well-being. Or because everything's linked um, and, and the cloud processing is fast, then we get instant feedback. So you should get better designs because they can spend their time optimising de- design rather than running with an idea that 
they spend so much time and money to develop, they then the, the, the tweaks are always going to be they're not going to they can't do as many tweaks essentially. Well, right, that's that's it. Or or to look at it another way, you can tweak as much as you like, and and you'll and you'll get the feedback um, yeah. as really quickly. So yeah, rather than having to say, okay, we've come up with like three or four different options and we want to test those out <clears throat> you can just be constantly improving and you, you've you uh, said a really key word there optimizing and this is taking that one step further that cloud processing is rather than uh, the designers coming up with some ideas and testing them why not let the computer optimize so you put in your desired outcomes and you say, well, I want to optimize for occupant well-being. You know, I want to make sure that everyone gets enough daylight and enough fresh air and uh, can see some plants and things. And and the computer will go through 2,000 iterations and it will say, yeah, cool. Well, we looked at 2,000 iterations and, and here, here's your answers. You know, there's, there's five options. Which ones do you like? So because the processing is so much faster than, uh, than, than we're able to do manually, um, the computer could actually do the iterations for you, and that and that is then getting onto generative design, um, and even artificial intelligence. Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So that so that what seems to be like you say cloud processing, which is not what well, more and more has been happening. It, it, all of a sudden, you can see what that advance can develop into. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the next stepping stone. It's why there's I think there's a lot of excitement at the moment, not just in the construction industry, but generally about artificial intelligence, because it's suddenly starting to seem like it's a real possibility and we can actually do this now. So it's not really a sci fi thing anymore. You know, artificial intelligence is something that we can do and we've just got to control it and and make it work to the best of our advantage. So yeah. So, you know, one step on from cloud processing, artificial intelligence, generative design, machine learning, all that kind of thing is um, is an inevitable uh, next step. And I'm sure in 10 years time, that will, that will be kind of bread and butter for a lot of us. Yeah. Excellent. Is, is, is any, any others you want to add? Well, yeah, hundreds. I mean, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm only talking in terms of... Um, the future of digital technology here because that's kind of what the um what the podcast is about right but um i'm always trying to make sure that we we put that in, in the context of what else is going on and obviously there there are some pretty important issues that we need to face as a worldwide community at the moment about environmental issues and social issues and and about people's well-being you know there's there's a lot there's a lot going on at the moment um and so we need to make best use of the technology to confront those and we need to appreciate how the world is going to be different because i don't think we're just going to be doing the same job in um, in 10 years time but just with a computer helping us you know so um it's really important as well to look i think at how workplaces are changing and how people's lives are changing um and and i think another another big prediction particularly for mep consultants um, partly because we're automating a lot of the detailed design um, processes, um, that's like that's a lot of our bread and butter at the moment. Uh, we're going to have to be working in other areas, and I can see us spending a lot more time during the occupancy of buildings, which is what the whole BIM drive is all about. Right, it's about looking at um, how buildings are used and facilities management data, and uh, optimizing the way 
buildings smart. use energy and, and the way people interact with buildings. So smart buildings piece, then yeah, 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 exactly yeah. that. And, and and integrating, say, for example, wearable technology with the building systems to give people bespoke um, experiences, and, and 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 the building systems can learn to understand what people like and what people don't like, and. Uh, and, and there's lots of clever stuff uh, that, that will happen there as well. So I can see that being a massive growth industry now and in the very near future. And I think that um, MEP design consultants are pretty well placed to move into that. So, yeah. Yeah. And is, is that an area that Ahold is looking at in terms of, in terms of, I know, yeah, business sector effects? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I should probably be careful how much I reveal, you know. But, <laughs> sure, um, sure. but, but, yeah, we've had. Um, I mean, we have central groups anyway of or specialist groups, I should say, of um, for building performance and um, who focus on optimizing the way buildings are run and, and working with clients. And uh, they they do some amazing things and save building owners a huge amount of money and um, and a lot of a lot of energy and carbon emissions get reduced from the good work that they do, which just kind of highlights how important it is. So um, with the with the digital thing coming on board and sensors are much cheaper than they were and and whatever what have you, then um, that's an area that we're definitely seeing ourselves get a lot of value from yeah sure well look thank you very much for your time ben that that was uh really interesting stuff and i and, and especially with the uh, future developments it's some yeah really exciting right in the not too deep like you said like you said the future's really here isn't it it's, it's you know yeah 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 that's it, why it's exciting because it's not all it's not all fanciful you know it's like this is happening <laughs> we're actually doing this now that's why it's exciting no, good stuff. Well, look, thank you very much. And I uh, hope everyone enjoy, enjoyed the, the podcast. Uh, my name is Andy Bourne. I'm Charlotte Recruitment. Thank you very much and goodbye. Thank you very much.